Welcome back to the St. Louis USBC Association Podcast. I'm your host, Weezer Weir, with Luke Cash Money Pearls, they call him. Not winning much cash. And board representative, Joe Hamilton. Boys, welcome back to week six. Week yeah, six, Joe. Week it's six. crazy. But I will say, at least we have a good weather week. There's not going to be any postponements of any league this week, which will be nice. Unless well, you have a reason to. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Yes. Well, and then, guys, they also say, we got a big show, big show plan. They also say, guys, you always remember your first time. <laughs> and for us, we have our first guest. We have three-time Hall of Famer and current world record champion, Mark Hood, that will join the show to discuss that night that they set the record for uh, the world record for team and uh, team points in a game. So the, I'm going to correct you, Weez. That is the five-person team game. Five-person. It, it does get uh, broken down in bowling. So uh, it is the five-person uh, record for team game. There we go. So we'll talk to Mark. But first, we'll get down to our business quickly. Luke, do we have any new leagues to talk about? We sure do, Weez. We have a Monday no tap doubles league coming out of Shrewsbury Lanes at oh, 7 p.m. I can't wait to hear you describe how this league works. <laughs> Please, Weez, let me know how I describe it because I would love anyway, to hear it. one of men, women, however you want to do it in terms of two, two women, one man, two men, one woman. That won't work in a two-person well, yeah. listen, no tap. Are you getting tapped in here? What's going on with the tapping? <laughs> so in the tap, no tap league, it is a doubles league. So it'll be just two men, two women, one man, one woman. That's it. Those are your only options, I think. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that that is how a no tap doubles team would be set up. Uh, no tap doubles, I'm assuming, is a nine pin no tap league. So you go in. um, Regular strikes count as strikes, and nine counts also count as strikes. So let's say you knock down nine pins real quick on your first shot, you get a strike. That's what I need. I'm yeah. a great nine pin bowler, I imagine. Hey, now you, you know I'm not a I'm not a bowler. What does no tap actually mean? So basically, in bowling, let's say uh, let's say a right hander stones an eight pin, as we call it. Okay, you throw a great ball and you leave an eight pin. That's like a tap. That's what a tap is. Well, in a no tap. That nine, that eight, sorry, got the hiccups. The eight pin now counts as a strike, so it is a no tap. There are no taps uh, when you're bowling. So that is why it's a no tap. In the the nine pin no tap league, you get nine, you get a strike. So okay. pre- pretty I'm simple. Thinking, I, I'm just even more confused, but we'll we'll move on. No, it's, it's just the terminology. That's all it okay. is. So, so no a, a no tap makes it a nine pin, right? Yeah. There so we go. So if you get nine, you get a strike. Okay. So I All think right. Weez, I think you and Emma, your wife, should be able to go bowl this league together if you'd like. You know what? I mean, I'll probably roll like perfect game after perfect game with nine pins. Hey, that's all you need. Nine nine counts. So uh well, it counted before, just now it counts as a strike. So <laughs> anyways. Perfect. Anyways, that is Monday nights at seven PM starting on April the twenty fifth. And ending on May the second. Sorry, I'm trying to do my math in my head. So, so it's a week. It's a week uh, long. 
That does. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Hang on. I'm sorry. This Reddit. So the meeting's on the 25th of April. Uh, the start date is on May the 2nd. There All right. Go. There so, we go. If you want to do a one-week league, sorry, we still don't have one for you. All right. <laughs> Let's quickly get into our rule here. And uh, Joe, you had an issue you wanted to bring up. At our board meeting a couple of days ago, one of the board members brought up a interesting, I guess, scenario. So somebody came into pre-bowl. I guess the team came into pre-bowl because they were thinking it was going to be nasty. Um, they're not going to risk themselves coming out, I guess, that night to bowl. They're going to come out, come and bowl, I guess, early. And turns out the league got canceled that night only to bowl the next night. Um and I'm going to have Luke take it from here because it's a pretty wordy rule. So um, what Joe failed to mention is a couple ladies that had pre-bowled due to the weather, as Joe said, because um, we had a snowstorm coming in with some ice. Um, so they decided to pre-bowl. Well, they find out the league, I believe, got canceled anyways and rescheduled for a later date. I don't know if it was the next day or not, but it did get rescheduled for the later date. So the board member from the St. Louis USBC had, she thought she knew the rule, wasn't sure. Um, so she called national, got the word um, that the board members from the league are eligible to meet. And actually uh, when it comes to the scores that were pre-bold, uh, this falls under rule 117 E slash five where if somebody were to pre-bowl ahead of time because of a um because of a i guess a storm okay uh due to severe weather if uh they were to pre-bowl well the whole league gets canceled that night anyways and rescheduled let's say for May beginning of May well the board members then have an option to meet and see what they want to do with those pre-bowls uh, they will have the first option, was, which is to um, have those pre-bowls count for the rescheduled date. So the what was pre-bowled for the one in uh, February is now going to count for the rescheduled date in May. If that makes sense. Let me just uh, sum this up for you. So if you pre-bowl for, if you pre-bowl, let's just put it this way. Anytime you pre-bowl, that is, uh, that is your score. You forfeit your right to bowl that night. So even if that night is postponed, you've already recorded that night. Unless for a storm, the, the board can overturn it, wipe that away, and allow you to bowl. Uh, yes. bowl. But say you have to work, and you're going to miss, and you pre-roll, and then you turn off your off work. Sorry, that night is already recorded. Yes. So that's that's two different parts of the rule. Yeah. But if you have any more questions, you can find those under rules 117E slash 4 and rule 117E slash 5. Just you basically, if you pre-bold, you've already bold for that week. Yes, that is that is rule 4. Rule 5 is the weather yeah. circumstance. So that, that is... We're not going to get too much except for this time of year. Well, yeah. Are like, we done with it? Can we just have 70s from here on out? That would be great. So we can go play some golf. Yeah. But... But anyways, I, I'm hoping to play some golf maybe soon. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Month of, month of March is brutal. Well, Luke, they always say anytime you have a Hall of Famer around, it's going to be a good day. And that's exactly 
who we're going to talk to now. In fact, he's a three-time Hall of Famer, Jefferson County, St. Louis, and the state of Missouri, the 1983 PBA Midwest Regional Pepsi champion, three-time Missouri State Amateur champion, and most recently, what we're going to learn a little more about here shortly, is a world record holder. Let's welcome Mark Hood to the show. Hello, everybody. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, Mark, we're just two years, you know, two years ago, the world was a different place. We were just two weeks shy of the world shutting down, but on special night, February 28th, lanes 31-32 at Concord, history was made. Why don't you guys, why don't you just tell us a little bit about that night? We'll get into a little more, but. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't know where to begin uh, that particular night. Um, was just like any other night. Uh, we we're bowling on the end pair, which I mean, historically is not something that you relish to bowl on a lot of in a lot of places. But uh, um, for whatever reason, that night we were bowling a very good team. Uh, so we were. Uh, and obviously, you get into late February, then the standings come into play. Uh, if you're not familiar with the the format of our league, um, there is a playoff system at the end of the at the end of the uh, league, and uh, we've been fortunate enough to make the playoffs every year. But um, it's always a battle to get in, and it's a it's a point system. We bowl 40 points a night. So, um, obviously the team we were bowling, I'm sure was up there in the standings with us. So we were, uh, we knew we had to bowl, bowl well. And, uh, I mean, it is hard. It, it's hard for me to describe that night just from the fact of remembering it, because when you go through something like that, you're so focused and uh, on what you're doing that it's sometimes hard to remember as it happens. Um, that's why I actually posted something today on Facebook about my feelings the day after, um, because when you're going through it, especially being the first game, you still got two games to bowl, and uh, you're <laughs> you're concerned about still trying to move on from there. But the uh, it was just an amazing thing. Uh, we had four of us that had the front nine strikes. I was the anchor at that point in time. We've our lineup changes depending on how we're bowling. Uh, I was having a very good year that year, um, and I was moved to anchor. And I I just remember in about the seventh or eighth frame, m- me saying to myself that if we have a chance to break this record more than likely it's going to come down to me, uh, being the anchor. And I told myself, I've got to be extra vigilant at staying focused and, um, not letting any distractions get to me because it's easy to do. I've got a lot of friends in that league. They like to come down and chat. Um, and I just remember when we got to the ninth frame and as everybody was striking, 
I just sat, you can't see it in the video, but I sat in a chair right behind lane 31. And the only time I think I got up was when Ron shot 300, uh, the second bowler, Ron Testa, uh, to give him five. But if you look and you watch me, I never, I never looked up. So I knew there was people watching. I knew we had a chance for the record. So I just told myself to focus on my team, watch lane 31 and not, and just try to stay calm as calm as I could. And it still was very difficult. Every shot, every strike we threw, I mean, there again, I didn't want it. You know, we didn't talk about the record. We didn't, that's just not something you do when you're, I mean, I heard people chattering, but I wear earplugs when I bowl. I can still talk, but I wear earplugs. Um, but uh, I, I didn't want to know. I just didn't want to know. I just was going to go up and throw the best shot I could and let the chips fall where I may. And anyway, uh, as you guys probably all know, I mean, Greg Getzel had 289, Ron had 300, Tom shot 279, uh, and then Tom Shukart, who bowls fourth right in front of me or did at the time, uh, shot 300. So I got up with the front nine. And like I said, I just knew if I knew at the very least, if I didn't mark the record would, I would probably not break the record, but I, I just knew I had to throw a good shot. If I could strike on the first one, I was confident we had the record by that point. And, um, I got up there and I was actually fairly calm on the first shot. Um, it sounds funny, but I actually remember the ball getting off my hand actually a little quicker than I wanted to. And the ball went dead flush. I mean, and 10 back and it actually, I think was a fortunate thing that the ball got off my hand quick because the next shot didn't get off my hand. I actually got off my hand more the way I wanted it to feel. And that's when I left the six pin and the 11th frame. But, um, and the other thing too, was, uh, I always tell people when I turned, so I threw the 10 shot and like I said, I was fairly calm. I mean, I, I had some nerves obviously, but when I turned and I, I couldn't help, but see that the entire bowling center had came to a stop and were crowded down around the end pair as much as they could to watch us. So when I went up to throw the 11 shot, I was probably much more nervous uh, than I was on the 10th shot. So um, that ball didn't get off my hand as clean, but actually it felt pretty good. But obviously since it didn't get off my hand as clean, it went a little high, left a six pin. I picked it. I was happy as heck. I knew we, uh, of course, then people were telling us we broke the record by 20 something pins. So all was good at that point. So um, uh, anyway, that's, that's what I remember about the, uh, about that, that evening. And um, uh, I mean, or about that game, I should say the, I know Luke talked to me or said something to me yesterday about it. 
the best thing that happened to us was we had so many people that came down and congratulated us. We probably had about a 10 or 15 minute break between the first and second game, because I think all of us, if we would have had to start the second game immediately, I don't know how we would have bowled the second game because we were all just, I, I, I don't, for, I know most of the people obviously listening to the show are bowlers, but even when you, even to this day, if I shoot a 300 game and I think maybe the, there's so many guys out there that shoot 300s now, maybe it's not the same for them, but the game after you shoot something big is always tough to bowl because your nerves, you always get nerves when you shoot a big score and obviously your nerves are going to change and come down and trying to execute the same way and mentally, physically is always a challenge. So the fact that we had that break was probably the best thing that could have happened to us. We actually bowled a very good second game and we didn't bowl so good the third game. Um, but, uh, we were, we were very happy with the evening, obviously. So that's kind of what I remember, uh, about, uh, about the night. Um, and then of course, I just remember, uh, and I don't want to go on here long and let you guys talk, but I remember obviously COVID hitting a couple weeks later and because there was no sports going on, all of a sudden we became the, the number one sports uh, event, I think, in the, in the St. Louis area. We had Channel 5 come down a couple times and interview us and put us on, on their news. And uh, obviously bowling, I had a gal from California call me and put me in the bowling paper in California. And so, like I said, afterwards, I think, you know, when, when it happened, we didn't realize what happened. And then afterwards, the next few weeks, as people from all over the country, uh, all over the world were congratulating us, then we kind of realized, uh, what, you know, how big of a deal it really was. So, um, so that's my, my memories as of as of right now of it um what was the team dynamic like and were you just feeding off of each other in that game yeah we were i mean all of us had uh either bowled together at some point in time or competed against each other at some point in time so we've kind of got a little bit of a inward rivalry if that sounded like the, that sounded like Elmer Fudd there for a second. <laughs> um, uh, you know, going on from the years past, and um, anyway, the uh, we of course we don't want everybody else to outdo each other, but but at the same time, we're all competitive. Very, even though we have much different personalities our competitiveness is probably very similar. So um, we basically just didn't, as Tom put, I know in one of the article or one of the channel five interviews that he did was we didn't want to let each other down. You know, we didn't want to be the one that screwed up to not get the record, you know? So I think that helped us all, you know, stay focused a little bit more 
um, than probably we normally do. I mean, not that we don't always try to win because we don't like losing, but, um, but you know, it's just when you're in that type of situation, all you're, you're just that little extra focus because you know what's at stake. And you, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but what was going through your mind as you stepped up in the 10th frame to throw your last two or three shots, uh, knowing you were the anchor bowler? Was, was there any added pressure that then you're like, huh. calmed yourself down? <laughs> that might be the understatement of the year. It was like, uh, how did I get to be anchor in a situation like this? Um, well, yeah, there's definitely added pressure. I just, I, I mean, I, I obviously, uh, as Luke will tell you, I'm not, not bullying. I'm kind of in a slump right now, but you know, I was very confident in how I was throwing the ball back then. And I've had, I've been bowling for competitively for 45 years and I have been in situations where I've had to strike to win, you know, my mid, my PBA region, regional title. Um, you just kind of draw back on that and you, you learn, you kind of learn how to set, you know, how to, how to set yourself for lack of a better term when you get in a situation like that. Uh, sometimes, you know, even a 300 game, you know, how do you throw that 12 shot? Um, it's just a learning experience of like your, your mental checklist that you go through your, it's just like, they'll tell you the pros will tell you pre-shot routine. You just try to make everything the same. And, um, that's basically just what I did. I, I went up there. I, I, the, I've got such great advice through the years, been so lucky between like Ray Bluth and Ray Orff, um, names from the past that have given me great advice. Uh, and you know, one of the, one of the great things that I was told and I, and I still sometimes have to tell myself this during the day, but when you get in a pressure situation, one of the great pieces of advice I ever got was your, your subconscious, your body. Uh, and I don't know if it was a pro that told me this, so I don't know if he went through some type of mental training or, or what, where he got this advice from, but it was, it was when you get in a, a situation like that, your body is always going to want to go faster mm -hmm. because your, your body is telling you, I want to get this over with because I'm in a pressure situation. And when you get in a situation like that, you actually have to have the opposite happen, or you need, at least in my case and in most people's case, you have to have the opposite happen. You have to slow yourself down even more so than normal. Slow your mind down, slow yourself down. Don't get up there before you're not, you know, before you're ready. And uh, I think if you watch me throw that first shot in the 10th, you will notice I did not rush up on the approach uh, to throw it. Now there's a lot of younger guys nowadays, you know, they have no fear. They have, I, sometimes I think they have no nervousness. Um, but you know, they, they, they have a faster pace, but with me, it was, I want to make sure 
you know, everything was clear in my mind before I threw that first shot, what I wanted, wanted to do. Um, there again, I, my experience, Mike Albee, uh, one of the greatest lefties that ever bowled, uh, I bowled some tournaments, uh, in the same tournaments with him and him being a fellow lefty. I did. And we were uh, hockey fans too, both of us, but he gave me a great piece of advice also that, you know, never step up on the approach before you know what you want to do. Have your plan in place before you step on the approach. You know, when, when I see guys step on the approach and then they're moving their feet around, they're, they're not ready to bowl. They're up there guessing, you know, so, you know, if decide what you're going to do before you step on the approach and then step up on the approach where you want to be and execute your shot. And then that's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about, do I need to move here? Do I need to move there? You, you do that thinking before you step on the approach. You made a great point, Mark, on the uh, – I'm going to backtrack a spot or two on what you just uh, got finished saying mm-hmm. in the part about um, going fast. Most guys, when they have a 300 going, more than likely that 12 shot, they may get a little fast. I know personally I would – it took me about five or six tries to finally get that 12th one. Right. And even, even that last one, I almost left a 10 pin. It got scooted off the back. So I just know I had a couple two ninety nines that were 10 pins. Uh, and I got a little fast and one of them, I, I got a seven count and got, didn't even touch the head pin. Right. So uh, anyways, but that you made a very, very valid point there with that statement. And it, I could personally relate to that. So, uh, but anyways, I'm going to actually ask you a question myself as well. Uh, with all your account accomplishments that were read off at the beginning of the show, uh, you <laughs> were a regional champion. Uh, you've had numerous 300s. You shot 800, I'm sure. Uh, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? in bowling. I, I think a lot of us would probably think this world record be on the top of the list, but I know it comes to personal perspective at this point. So I just wanted to ask, what do you think? You're well, the two, I, I would say, I would say it's a tie between the world record and my regional title. Okay. Um, the regional title, uh, and, and I, I'm not going to go through the, the history of that, but the regional title, I was, I, I won the final match 270 to 258, I believe, but I was behind the entire match until the 11th or the second shot in the 10th. So I went spare strike spare in the final match um, and then went off the sheet and the other guy had had the lead on me. He started with like a five bagger. Um, Lou Crawley was his name. Um, but I, uh, I had beat, uh, Dave Traber in the semifinal match who has won a lot of tour titles. Uh, I, less, less Zykes was in the top five. Another guy, he's older. A lot of young guys probably don't remember that name, but he was, one of the best bowlers, uh, in the day back then. So, 
Um, it, you know, back in ninth in the eighties, there was huge fields in the, and I'm not taking anything away from winning a regional now, mm. but back then, I mean, it, there was well over a hundred people that bowled or bowled in a regional. Um, so, I mean, it was, you know, it's not like winning a national title, but it was a big deal, um, to win a regional title back then. Um, at least, I mean, it, there again, not taking anything away from, but I know they don't get nearly as big of fields nowadays and that's not their, that's not their fault. That's just, we could go right. on for days talking about bowling and what's happened, but, uh, that's a, that's for another show. Yep. But, uh, but no, those would be the two things that, um, stand out the most for me. I mean, I'm very proud of being, you know, three-time amateur champion, but, um, but winning a PBA title is obviously a, a big deal and setting a world record is hard to, hard to top. Would you say maybe one is a personal, um, victory versus a team victory? Would you, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's why I say they're, they're probably equal because they're, they're different. Um, it's hard for me to, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so proud of, holding a world record, but it's, it's more proud when you're, when you've done it with, uh, you know, if I, if we were all 25 years old, more than likely we wouldn't think that as much of it, maybe uh, just because we would probably figure, well, it's probably going to get beat uh, when you're have uh, at the time I am now 60, but at the time I was 58 and I was the second youngest on the team. Um, and I'm still the second youngest on the team. Uh, but, uh, um, but at the time when it happened, I mean, doing it with basically five guys that are, I'm not sure if Tom was 55 yet at the time, but he was approaching 55 at the very least. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having five guys, 55 and over break, uh, you know, and a, world record i think is an even bigger accomplishment um people may disagree with me on that but um i just think it's uh, such a big deal for having three guys that were over 60 at the time and a 58 and a 54 year old i believe at the time it happened i i think that gets lost in the fact that you know that yeah we're all good bowlers and we all shot big scores and yes, scores are easy nowadays, but you know, uh, as so I can tell you now, as I've turned 60, it's just not as easy when you get older. So the fact that we could all come together that one game and do it, I think is uh, definitely a phenomenal feat. And uh, the fact that you guys also beat a record that was set by guys that were, I'm going to say probably half your age, if not less, because I, I know that whole team that you guys beat and they're in their probably right. mid, to, mid to late twenties. So right. also a, a question based off this age uh, conversation, I uh, had a question about the fact that I believe, I don't know if it was Tom that said it or coined the phrase uh, super seniors for your guys's team. that set the record. Right. Uh, what are your thoughts on that terminology of super seniors? Um, uh, in terms of describing that team that set the record. Well, I hope he means that we're super bowlers. 
Yeah, I think that's <laughs> and what not I think. super old. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that's why he's he's uh, he he says it to probably get our ire on the old part. But I think he means uh, that we can we can still play if we uh, if we need to. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm struggling a little bit this year, but you know when. When it's time, when it gets down to crunch time, I think we all come together still pretty good. But, you know, we'll see as the year ends. All right, now we're still in the top six, so we're uh, we're not bowling maybe as good this year as we have in the past. Um, not for, you know, any particular reason, but we're uh, we're still hanging in there. And we know we know and that. I means- don't believe, you know, Tom Graham. I he he says stuff all the time. I'm not. You know, he does. He, I know, I know. On <laughs> he Wednesday, just trying to stir, he just tries to get us stirred up. That's all. Oh, I know. He he does that to me on Wednesdays. I forgot what that terminology used for me spinning the ball, but uh, um, what was it? Oh, it'll come. Oh, that. See, now you're gonna. That's gonna bother me if I can't come up with it. Um, <laughs> it's something about spinning. It's like uh, tween, uh, not tween. Yeah, tween. because I told him that phrase, and oh. then he loved it so much. <laughs> he thought it was so funny that um, that. He 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 doesn't use it only on you. I, okay? I figured. I so, figured. So don't figured. take it personally. I didn't. I just I remember him saying it to me. That's yeah. Why. Uh, but I figured that wasn't just directed at me. He, no, he no. Said it to other people because I know nowadays he does it at Jim Ratliff too. Because now <laughs> nowadays I know you and I were having the conversation earlier about spinning the ball and uh, it just I think that is a go to nowadays. It seems like a lot of people spin the ball more than they used to. So. Uh, just a, a way to get the ball going down the lane further. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, which is needed. So um, anyways, um, I guess I'll go with one last question here. Um, let's see. So I'm going to kind of re- redirect this a little bit. So with bowling being such a huge St. Louis sport for decades, obviously it was probably up there with, I'm not going to say with baseball, but it was, Definitely a very, very big um, bowling city up until the last couple of decades. But um, who were your bowling influences growing up? Um, it could be from St. Louis. It could be from outside of St. Louis. Um, who who influenced you in the bowling world um, to kind of help you get on this path of being a world record holder? Sure. Um well, I mean, my, I would call, I mean, as far as my idol, um, from a bowling standpoint, being left-handed, I would say Johnny Petraglia. Um, I mean, no, probably if you watch me bowl, my game doesn't look exactly like him, but I remember when I was young, I used to try to imitate him and I just, I always loved the way he threw the ball. Um, so I think part of the reason that I, at least back in the old days, not so much now, uh, a lot of people don't remember me back in the eighties, but I used to hook the ball more than anybody probably on the left side. And, uh, part of that reason was, was he probably, even though I think when you watch early ones of him because he was throwing hard rubber balls. It doesn't look like he hooked the ball that much, but um, as when you watch him 
as the years progressed, you could see how much he put on the ball and, and all that. So I think part of why I started hooking the ball was, you know, because of watching him uh, through the years. As far as my biggest influence personally, there's no doubt about it. It was Ray Bluth. Um, I grew up at Crestwood Bowl for those young guys that don't know who Ray Bluth is. Uh, Ray Bluth was a member of the Budweiser team that held the uh, three-game world record for, and Luke probably knows better than me, but I think it was 30-plus, 40 years. Um, It looked like, you know, it looked like an almost an unattainable goal for a long time. And then reactive resin decided to come into play. And now uh, it doesn't look so big anymore, but I mean, those guys shot whatever close to 3,900 with hard rubber balls. Um, And uh, anyway, Ray, Ray wasn't as well known as say Dick Weber, Don Carter, who was on his team uh, on the Budweiser's, but but Ray has Ray has a few national titles. He had numerous second place titles to Don Carter and Dick Weber because back in those days they didn't have as many tournaments. Um, I, I I would definitely put Ray as a bowler in the top 10 of, on my list. Most people wouldn't. Um, but I, I mean, I remember my father taking me in Crestwood bowl and when I was very young and Ray was still bowling to some degree, uh, he started having wrist issues not long after that, but I was watching him throw the ball and I've never seen if you, if you, ever see old tapes of Ray, you'll, he had the most unique way of holding the ball when he started. Mm. And when the ball came off his hand, it had revolutions for back then. I mean, he, he was throwing this ball that had a white ebonite logo on a big white E on it. And all I could see was this white E rolling down the lane like crazy. And I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I, and my dad was basically taking me in there to see if I wanted to start bowling. And when I saw that, I said, absolutely. I want to, I, I want to start bowling. And, um, cause I, I want to throw the ball like that. And to make a long story short through the years, I grew up in the junior program there. They had a great junior program. Uh, I believe they still have a good junior program, but Ray, Ray was always there in the mornings. Um, he's still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 90 something years old. Um, and I could walk in his office as a young kid and he would let me, even though I was left-handed and he was right-handed, he'd have, he was on the Ebonite staff back then. And he would, which kind of is amazes me because I'm actually on the Ebonite staff now. Um, uh, so that I, I kind of feel like that's come full circle for me at least, but, but Ray has, uh, uh, would let me throw his bowling balls. I mean, he'd have balls in there that weren't even on the market yet, which back then it's not like today where, yeah, I can get balls maybe a month before somebody else can. But back then 
you had to wait until they were on the market, but he would, they would send him the sample balls to try and get his opinion. And he'd let me throw them. And it was just, it was just, it was cool. Mm. But the, you know, but the great thing about him was just how great a man he was. He was, he's so humble, such a great guy. Um, I worked for him for a couple of years as a late, you know, 16 to 18. I worked there. Great to work for just a one, just a wonderful man. And so, I mean, you know, when they talk about role models growing up, yeah, your parents hopefully are your role models, but you know, there are other people that influence you. And, um, he was definitely my biggest, biggest influence personally. And of course he helped me bowling immensely as well. We actually just held our women's tournament at Crestwood this past weekend. Right. Right. And he, he was there. I don't know if you saw him or not, but, uh, he was there. I believe it was, I don't know if it was Saturday or Sunday, but yeah, I was fortunate enough to see him a couple weeks ago. Uh, we had high school, I'm coaching Vianney high school team and, um, he was there when we were bowling and I was fortunate enough to see him then. So he's doing, I, I know he's having his health issues, but he's still able to get around and still as smart, smart as ever. So, yep. Mike um, says he's still there every morning at like 6am. I mean, he was, that was the way he was 30, 40 years ago. The guy it's is amazing. Just, he, the guy is amazing in general. He's just he's absolutely. 90. I think he's 94, 94 and just in the last couple of years still had he was able to play golf and had a hole in one actually yep. had that in the news oh. so he's he, able to get around and do do stuff so the guy is amazing absolutely and, and i wanted to finalize my question i know i said i had one last no, one go ahead last one um but you you mentioned going full circle uh i'm gonna go into the records of you being a hall of famer would you ever i know you're a two-time local Hall of Famer being in St. Louis and in Jeffco's Hall of Fames. You're a state Hall of Famer. Would you ever consider um, putting your application in for the national, being a national Hall of Famer, if that option came to I be? don't, I mean, I don't think I have enough credentials on the national stage to, I mean, if somebody actually thought I it was worth me putting it in, I would probably say, okay, but I'm not going to, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to be in the Missouri state hall of fame. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm no, I don't, I don't have any aspirations to go in the national. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't bowl PBA long enough. I, I made a decision there in the late eighties. Uh, I think, I think I dropped my PBA card in 1990. Uh, there just wasn't enough money for me to make a living. Um, um, I got married in 92, um, which let's not talk about that, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but there just wasn't enough money uh, back then that I felt, I, you know, I could have went out there and just, you know, grinded it out and tried to live on, you know, ramen or whatever. But, you know, I, I was able to get in the bowling business and, um, I have, you know, I have no regrets. Um, I, I was, I worked for Grand Prix bowling supply for a while. I worked for Ray Orff's bowling supply for a while. I ran Arnold bowl for 12 years. Um, 
and then it was time for a change. And now I'm a, now I'm actually selling insurance. So I work for shelter insurance. So if I can ever help anybody there, uh, please, please come see me. But, uh, but no, I have, I have no regrets there. I, I, there are a lot, there's so many guys in the national hall of fame that I look up to and have much greater credentials than I do. I'm, I'm not, not concerned about that. With that being said, though, I mean, you are in the St. Louis Hall of Fame that also has some of those same names. Uh, you never know. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, you got the Webbers, obviously, and I think is Bluth on the National, seen the National Hall of Fame or not? I, I don't Who's know. Who's that? Uh, is Ray Bluth in there or not? Do you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you got like that mm-hmm. whole Budweiser team, and I'm pretty sure most of them are in our Hall of Fame as well. So, Right. You never know. You never know. It's always open. You never know. Uh, Sounds like Luke wants to start the campaign here on this show to get you into yeah. the match. <laughs> Mark Hood for uh, the the class yeah. of uh, 2025, maybe. Just throwing it out there in a Whatever couple of years. Whatever you say, Luke, I'm behind you 100%. <laughs> All right. We'll make it happen. We'll 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 try our best here. Luke Luke can do anything he puts his mind to. Well, That's right. Mark, That's right. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, Hopefully, uh, hopefully the world is opening back up and you can get back out there and, you know, the pressure, you now know what the pressure's like. Maybe, you know, go, go make it even more unattainable for the next team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We're still bowling together. So, Hey, we can, we still have 43 pins we can, we can gain. So, yeah. and then, yeah, if you, if you guys do that, then you'll always hold the world record because no one can beat it. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. All right. Well, we'll have to get you on again and talk about the problems (laughs) that you wanted to talk about earlier. No. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have no problem. I have no problem with that either. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much. And if you need insurance, hit them up. Yeah. Shelter insurance. I'll see you tomorrow night, Mark. Yes, sir. Thanks again. Have a good rest of the show. Well, what a fun interview with Mark Hood. Uh, I mean, that pressure, the, you know, the being the anchor. You know, I played baseball. You know, I wasn't a pitcher. I had been a part of the no-hitters, like, out there. You don't, you definitely don't talk about it, like you said. But, the, you know, that pressure and then the fact that they had to do two more games after that. Crazy to me. Man, oh, man. Mark is one great guy and very talented. Uh Right now, I know he's in a slump, but hey, he'll get out of it. That's what slumps are for. And and like I've said before, I mean, at least he had like a 10 to 20 minute break. Because after that, it's just like your your mind is overblown with this accomplishment you just had. You said that before, Joe, or did he say it? I've never heard you break down his perfect his world record game ever. No, but I just remember what I what I've done. If I bought a great game, my head goes to crap after that. Yeah, you know that that's what happens when you bowl a one sixty. All right, no, hang on. I I, I'll I'll put my story in. Oh wait, here we go. Can't go an episode with him trying to bring in a perfect game. No, it was actually an eight hundred series. The one time I shot eight hundred was in our youth tournament that we run. Uh, I shot 800 in singles and then I bowled doubles afterwards and I shoot like 530. So it's the same mindset though. It's like I just shot 800, awesome. And then you go to bowl afterwards and it's like, oh God. I don't think it's fair, Luke, that you're bowling in the youth tournament. I'm just no, going to throw that this out. This was there. like 10 years ago. I was you just still... said 
in the tournament well, yeah, that you we didn't run. Specify, Luke. Yeah. So. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This was like ten years ago. Luke's um, out here like Peyton Manning in that SNL like <laughs> skit. All right. This has been a long enough episode anyway. We know it's a little longer, but if you stuck around, thanks for that. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you find your podcasts. Let us know if there's anything you want to know or if you've got a bowling event coming up that you think people should know about, let us know. You can find Luke. He'll tell us about it, and then we'll tell you about it next week. For Luke, for Joe, I'm Weezer. We'll see you then.